morning. My name is Trevor. Welcome. If you're here for the first time, welcome. We hope that you would experience the welcome of God this morning as we gather together and as we dive into some time of scripture. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do have a Bible, um, would you please open it up to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to spend a little bit of time together this morning in Mark chapter 1. You know, Jesus taught us that it is better to be a doer of the word than merely a hearer of it. So Jesus went around and said there's kinds of people who they hear the word and then they fail to put it into practice. And then there are other people who hear the word and then put it into, the practice, into practice. And he said those who hear his word and put it into practice, they're wise. Like they're building their life you know, on the rocks, whereas those who merely hear the word but fail to put it into practice are like those who build their house on sand. And when the rains come and the wind blows, and that always does happen, uh, uh, you know, you want to have your life built on the rock. And so as a church, I want to remind you that what we seek to do as Christians is to put the word of God into practice in our lives. We're not interested in just hearing the word. I mean, I hope that when you show up on Sunday mornings and you listen to a sermon, I do hope and we pray that it does transform you. But the transformation isn't just from knowing one thing to now knowing something new. Hopefully it is a knowledge that changes how we live. And I bring that up because what we have talked about last week and are talking about this week, our, pr- our practices, our disciplines, our habits that are incredibly difficult to do in our world. So we are in a two-week series where we last week talked about silence, and this week we're going to talk about solitude. And last week we talked about the importance of silence and how we need silence and we need quiet in a noisy world. And I hope that you left last week and made a decision to add some quiet in your life, right? To, to, I defined last week uh, silence as the temporary abstention from noise um, for biblical spiritual purposes. So noise could be internal dialogue. It certainly is external dialogue. And, and we need silence. And we talked last week about God speaks in the silence. And we looked at a passage in Kings that reminded us of the way that God spoke to Elijah. Not in the chaos, but in the quiet. And sometimes we have to learn to quiet ourselves down enough to hear God in his word. Well, this morning, we're going to finish that two-parter by talking about solitude. So, one, I hope that you practiced silence last week. And then this week, I hope that you will become convinced of the importance of solitude in your life. Now, I recognize that when I say solitude, that that is not often a word that brings warm, fuzzy feelings. The word solitude comes from the Latin word solus, which means alone, And so I know that when you hear the word solitude, many of you have negative connotations. For some of you, when you hear the word solitude, you might think of solitary confinement, which is a way that we punish prisoners who have been disobedient. We put them all by themselves. So I know that when you hear solitude, some of you think, man, solitude is the last thing I need. Some of you might think of the game solitaire, which is the only card game no one brags about being good at. 
Solitaire, the game that we play by ourselves with a deck of cards. We always want to play cards together, but ah, last resort, I guess I've got cards, I guess I'll play Solitaire. For some of you, when you hear solitude or being alone, the first thing you do is just go, wait a second, I just got through COVID and I, 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 I don't want to be separated from people. What I desire is community. And some of you might be thinking, Pastor Trevor, doesn't the Bible say that it's not good for man to be alone? That's the first problem we see in Genesis. It is not good for man to be alone. And so, so I want to say, yes, there is a kind of aloneness that is not good. You are made for community. And at the exact same time, I want to demonstrate to you this morning in Scripture that Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, made time to be alone with God and that that was crucial to his spiritual, the spiritual practices that we need. That he needed time alone with the Father to demonstrate for us as a part of his humanity and we as humans need to be alone with God. And so I want to recognize that for some of you, 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 the idea of being alone is very difficult. For some of you, being alone sounds very challenging and very hard. But I want you to understand that I'm talking here specifically about solitude, not about isolation. Because isolation is sort of the evil twin of solitude. And isolation comes from the Latin word insula, which means island. And so if you pictured uh, an island that's all by itself, surrounded by a bunch of water thousands of miles away from the nearest continent, that's a picture of an island. That's a picture of isolation, cut off from other living people. And that's what it means to be isolated. And isolation while is a physical reality of being distant from other people, isolation is really about emptiness. When we think about isolation, we really are talking about a kind of emptiness that's not what I'm advocating for. Right? During COVID, maybe you had to be isolated from your family. Maybe your family had to be isolated from other families. Maybe you're still experiencing that with COVID now, as I know some in the church are. But isolation is about removal and brings to mind images of emptiness. And when isolation becomes a lifestyle, and it is certainly true that for many in our world today, isolation is quickly becoming a lifestyle. Everything's at home. Everything comes to you. All your meals can now come to you. All your entertainment comes to you. Now you can even put on virtual goggles and then live in a world that's everything is just right in one place. Like we, we can be more isolated. And so when you live isolated, completely detached, we know that it's not good for you. We know that people who are isolated from others have weaker immune systems. We know that people who are isolated from others can have higher risks of anxiety and depression. So we know that too little interaction with others, isolation, is unhealthy. 
And at the same time, we know that too much interaction with others is also unhealthy. Too much stimulation, too much being around people all the time is not good for us. So the question is, what do we do when we sometimes feel like our options are isolation and loneliness versus overstimulation and community? Last week, we talked about the importance of silence. This week, we're going to talk about solitude. Let me give you a definition of solitude so that we're really clear about what it is that I'm arguing for. Solitude, as I want to define it, is the temporary abstention from people to connect with God for biblical spiritual growth. I'll say that again for those of you who are taking notes. Solitude is the temporary abstention from people to connect with God for biblical spiritual growth. It's temporary. It's not a call to be alone forever. It's temporary. We're not talking about a life lived in the desert. I'm not talking about a call to be a, a monk in the desert. No, it's temporary. But it's also not a call to mere introversion. I'm not giving you an excuse to leave parties early because you'd rather be alone, right? That's what we typically think. Oh, I'm going to go practice solitude. Solitude is not a bath and a good book. That's not solitude, right? That's sometimes what we do. We want to kind of get away from people. I'm talking specifically about, um, about being alone with God for our spiritual good, for biblical and spiritual growth. So solitude is about temporarily avoiding people to connect with God. It's not about being away from people. It's about being alone with God. If you miss this, you'll miss everything. Solitude is not about moving away from people. Solitude is about moving towards being alone with God. And so this morning, I want you to see the importance of it in Jesus' life and ministry, and hopefully by connection that you would see it in your own. So if you have a Bible, you should be in Mark by now, Mark chapter 1. You should have had a moment to find that. Mark is the shortest gospel. It's about half the length of Luke, and it has got a lot of details for such a short book. It's very punchy, but Mark doesn't like to waste words. And so I want to show you that in Mark chapter 1... Um, he talks about the life of Jesus, specifically about something Jesus does that we're going to draw some stuff out of this morning. So again, if you have a Bible, Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. If you're in the NIV as I am, the title of this section is Jesus Prays in a Solitary Place. Very early in the morning, verse 35 says, while it was still dark... Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Mark chapter 1, if you read just the beginning of Mark, I mean, Mark launches in 
to his gospel. He opens up with Jesus. Here's Jesus. He's the son of God. John the Baptist talked about him. Jesus gets baptized. He goes into the wilderness. He gets his disciples. Like Jesus, John does all of this in the first 20 verses. And here in Mark 1, verse 35, he points out that Jesus gets up very early to go and pray in a solitary place. And now, this small text might not mean or seem like very much to you, but to see the importance of it, you have to see what just happened and what will happen. So let me, make, let me talk about sandwiches for just a second, right? A sandwich has two pieces of bread and then something in the middle. Two pieces of bread is not a sandwich, Right? But you take two pieces of bread, put some peanut butter on it, now you have a peanut butter sandwich. Right? Two pieces of bread and something in the middle. That's what makes a sandwich. So I want you to see that this passage of Mark 1.35 is sandwiched between something before and something after, which are both important. We won't read the text, but if you have a Bible, you can verify this in front of me, in front of you. Mark 1.21, Sabbath begins. It's the Sabbath day. And Jesus is in the synagogue and he is teaching at the synagogue. That's how he begins his day, with teaching at the synagogue. As Jesus is teaching, after he's teaching, he heals a man that is possessed by a demon. He then travels to Simon and Andrew's place where he discovers that Simon's mother has a fever and is sick and is in need of healing. So Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. And then, after the sun goes down, outside of the door at Simon and Andrew's place, they discover that the entire town has brought everybody with all kinds of diseases and all kinds of uh, demon possession to the doorstep of Jesus. And so Jesus spends his evening, after sundown at the start of the next day, he spends his evening healing people of all kinds of diseases and driving out all kinds of demons. If you're reading the Gospel of Mark, Mark wants you to see that this is a long day for Jesus. He is teaching, traveling, healing, and driving out demons. This is what Jesus does in Mark 1, 21 through 34. He's had a very full, exhausting day. And we know from Mark chapter 5 that when Jesus is healing people, it takes something out of him. You may remember the story of when a woman touches Jesus and he says that he felt like his power came out of him. Jesus is impacted physically by the act of teaching. Jesus is a fully human. He's fully God and fully man. And so as he's teaching, which takes something out of you, and he's traveling, which takes something out of you, and he's healing, and it takes something out of you, and driving out demons takes something out of him, right? So he's doing all of those things. Teaching, traveling, healing, and driving out demons. That's the first part of bread. That's the top of the sandwich. Now, hold on Mark 135. Go below the sandwich, right? I want you to see what happens next in verses 37 through 42. Jesus, right, Mark 35, we'll get there in a minute. Jesus is interrupted. Simon shows up, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. 
And what does Jesus, what does he do? He says, all right, right? All the, I've got stuff to do. I've got work to do. I've got, he says, I've got more villages to go to. I've got more preaching and teaching to do. And he goes to synagogues and he drives out demons and he does more healing. And in fact, in verse 38, he will say, this is why I have come. So I want you to see that the bottom, right after Mark 1.35, what does Jesus do? He does teaching, traveling, healing, and driving out demons. Top part of the sandwich, teaching, traveling, healing, driving out demons. The bottom part is the same. So Mark shows you Jesus, he's doing a lot on the Sabbath day, right? And then he's had a long Sabbath day. And then after that, you see that Jesus is about to do a lot. And right in the middle, right in the middle, the meat of the sandwich, the thing that Mark wants you to see between Jesus' exhausting day and his very exhausting, high-in-demand ministry, what does Jesus prioritize? Mark 1.35, he practices solitude. Mark 1.35, Jesus practices solitude. So let's look at this one verse, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, in our time together, I want to talk about the when, I want to talk about the where, and I want to talk about the why. So first, when, the when, the when, the where, the why. The when. Notice that it, Mark says it's very early in the morning, while it was still dark. Jesus would, had spent the evening healing and driving out demons. He's had a long day. He's exhausted. But what does he do? While it was still dark, early, early, he gets away. He, he leaves. He makes a decision to go and practice solitude to be with the Father. This is Jesus' habit. If you read the Gospels, when Jesus has big ministry things to do, he often kicks them off with spending alone time with the Father. And if you're in Mark 1, Jesus has just called his disciples. So the disciples are paying attention. What kinds of habits? What kinds of disciplines? How does Jesus live his life? What does he do? He practices solitude. They want to do what he did, and that's what he did. That's what they record. Luke writes the same thing in Luke 5.16 when it says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. And prayed. That's Luke 5.16. Three years. Jesus' ministry is three years. Most effective ministry of any person who's ever lived. Three years does more than I will do in my entire life. Three years. A jam-packed schedule. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's in high demand. He's often moving away from people who want more out of him every second. And what does he do? He makes time to be with God alone. Jesus made time for it. He didn't have time. He made time. It wasn't a decision that Jesus made out of boredom. You're not going to find Jesus kind of exhausting his other options and then going, you know what? I got some free time. I'll go spend time with the Father. No, it's not something he does out of boredom. It's something he makes time to do intentionally. He makes time for solitude. Brothers and sisters, if you do not make time 
to spend time alone with God. If you don't make time for solitude, you will never do it. Who here has too much free time? Have any of you watched all of the shows or the movies you wanted to see, listened to all the music, completed all of your to-do list? Who, who among, who, we are so busy. We have so many options, so many distractions, so many events to take the kids to, so many places to drive and go, so many experiences. Every day there's a new list of best places, 100 things you must do before when you live in L.A., like 100 restaurants you must eat at. We're inundated with to-do lists. And what I'm telling us is, is, is you is that you don't have too much free time. You know this. I'm not speaking to a group of people who have too much free time. You are so busy. Sometimes the reason you're busy is because you're lazy. Sometimes the reason that you're so busy is because you allow the urgent things to take the place of the important things. I'm preaching to myself on that, right? Sometimes the reason I'm busy is because I put the urgent above the important. I want you to see that for Jesus, what's important is that he practices solitude. He is alone with God. He doesn't have time. He makes time. Very early. Mark wants you to know, like when everyone's asleep and when the temptation would be to sleep in, what does he do? He makes time for solitude. It's so important to understand that Jesus makes time in his life he wants to teach us as his followers that what we need is alone time with God. What you need is alone time with God. So, so that's the when. Secondly, the where. Mark says he goes to a solitary place. It doesn't say desert. It doesn't say orchard. It doesn't say building that's empty. He only describes it as a solitary place. And that's the Greek word eremos. And the Greek word eremos means away from people. Jesus goes to a place away from people to be with God. Jesus needed to be alone with God. And so the discipline or the habit of solitude is recognizing that if Jesus needed to be alone with God regularly, so do you. In fact, don't we need to be with God more than Jesus would have needed to be with the Father, right? Like, Jesus is God and man. He's God in flesh. If Jesus needs to be in the presence of the Father to do what it is that he is called to do, how much more do we need to be alone with God? If the God of all creation needed time to get away from the hustle and the bustle of life, what does that tell us about our own needs to create that same space? I mean, imagine, can you imagine saying, you know, I actually think that I need less time with God than Jesus did. Can you imagine saying that sentence out loud? Like saying like, no, no, I know, no, no, no. I know that Jesus needed time in prayer, but I need less. I'm, I really, I got this. 
We would never say that out loud. And yet our lives, if you looked at our calendars, would often reveal that we do not spend nearly the time alone with God that we need to. Let me ask you the question, where are you alone with God in your life? If I followed you around for a week, when would I see you alone with God? Alone for the purposes of connecting with God. So that's the, that's the, the where. Thirdly, the why. And I've just got a few points here that I want you to see. Why does Jesus practice solitude? First, he practices solitude because he's tired. Please hear me. Jesus practices it because he's tired. See, we say, I'm tired. I don't have time to spend time with God. Jesus says, I'm tired. I must spend time with God. We say, I'm tired. I need more sleep. Jesus says, I'm tired. I must be alone with my Father. You see the difference? Sometimes we need to take naps. I'm pro-naps. So don't, don't put me in the camp of saying, you know, some of you need to take a nap. Naps, Jesus takes naps. In the Bible, you see Jesus takes naps, right? Pro-naps. But a nap shouldn't replace solitude. Solitude shouldn't eliminate, like, or take the place of completely me time or leisure in your life. I'm not suggesting that you start practicing solitude and that you have no time to read a good book or watch that show or get some rest. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is I fear that we are out of balance, that we're distracted, that we watch too much, we listen to too much, we read too much, we do too much, we are overcommitted, we are exhausted. We've got too much noise in our life. And because Jesus is tired, he goes to be with the Father. Why is this? Because for Jesus, and you've got to get this, it's for you too, being alone with God is a place of spiritual renewal and refreshment and strength. It's not the thing he does when he has the, the, the kind of time, when, when, he's, when he's feeling up for it. When he's tired, he does it. Some of us are more interested in filling our lives and those moments where we have space for solitude, we fill it with like another podcast or like another article or another news thing to read or another show to watch. We like to fill our lives with other things to do rather than the thing you need most, which is to be alone with your father. So Jesus, why does he do solitude? Because he's tired. Secondly, Jesus practiced solitude. Secondly, why? Because he has a lot of work to do. I hope you see that. He's interrupted. Jesus, everyone is looking for you. He's got a lot of things to do. He has a demanding life. People want Jesus to teach them, to heal them, to do miracles about them, to drive out demons. They want to argue with him. Jesus' ministry is incessant. 
Don't tell me that you are more in demand than Jesus. I don't care how many followers you have or how important you think you are. You are not more in need than, in, than Jesus is. And yet, Jesus makes time because he's busy to be alone with God. You can't say, I'm too busy to be alone with God. Martin Luther, you know this maybe, you've heard me say this before. Martin Luther, upon being asked one time by a friend what his plans were for the following day, said, work, work from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Now, we mock that sometimes or we laugh at it because we miss the point of it. And that is that what Luther was saying and what Jesus would affirm is that alone time with God is the place of spiritual power. It is the place of preparation. It's a place of fulfillment, not of emptiness. You don't know yourself as well as God does and you need to know that solitude with God cannot be something that when you are less busy, you'll make time for. It's got to be something that you make the first part of your life. Now, that doesn't have to be in the morning, though I often recommend that it is. But you've got to give God your first. You can't be at the end of your to-do list. Some of you, right, you showed up this morning... And last week we talked about quiet, and I said, I hope you practiced quiet last week. And some of you are going to say, ah, I didn't. Why not? Ah, I just didn't have the time. You cannot be, your spiritual rhythms cannot, your disciplines and habits cannot be the things that you do when everything else is exhausted. Lest the devil convince you that you can get to the end of that to-do list, which some of you have been chasing after for 20 years. You must prioritize Time with God because you are busy, because you are exhausted, because that is the place of spiritual preparation and power and growth. That is what we need. So Jesus does it because he's tired, because he's busy. Thirdly, Jesus, why does Jesus do it? Because he loved God the most. What Jesus loved the most was not his ministry, not his mission. Not even you. God loves you. Jesus loves you. But he doesn't love you most. What he loved most is the Father. And he taught that. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus said that we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And second, that we love our neighbor as ourselves. In other words, we love God more than we love our neighbors. Love them both, but there's a priority here. God, then neighbors. And Jesus demonstrated that the way in which he was going to show that he loved God was by spending time with God. How foolish would it be to declare to people in our lives that we love God the most when we never spend time with the one who we say we love most. God is your highest good. It's what you need more than anything is God. If you are here this morning and you don't know God, it's our hope that you would know God because the thing you need most, the one you need most in your life is God. And when you love anything more than God, you create an idol. And disconnectedness from God is your biggest problem and reconnection to God is what you need most. 
What you need most is not your vocation or your work. It's not more pleasure or more experiences. It's not more information. It's not even the world's definition of success. What you need most is God. Now hear me, because this is so, what I'm going to say next is so important. If you aren't alone with God regularly, you will look to other things and other people for fulfillment. Even community and the church itself. And that's a bad thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his book, Life Together, I quoted him last week. Going to quote, if you've never read Life Together, put that on your reading list, but only read it after you've practiced solitude. Bonhoeffer's Life Together, he says this. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let the person who, who can't be alone beware of community. Why? Because Bonhoeffer's saying, if we don't take time to regularly enter into solitude and receiving God's love as the source of our identity and calling and belonging, then we become dangerous to each other. Why? Because we will attempt to get from other people what only God can give us. We will start to demand that the church meet our needs for love, for approval, for a sense of self, or whatever else you're missing. You want to destroy your community group? Show up every week never having spent time with God. Because you'll show up and what you'll start to do is look to the people around you and you will desire them to give you what you can only get from your heavenly father. And then when the people disappoint you, when they can't meet your needs, when they refuse your demands, you'll get frustrated and you'll take your frustration out on one another through gossip. Manipulation. You'll try to control people. And some of you will even start to accuse the community of failing you. And you'll start projecting what you lack onto others in the community. And you'll blame them for not meeting needs that they were never made to meet anyway. Community can't fully meet needs that can only be met by a deep and rich and regular and satisfying relationship with God. It is a weight too heavy for any community to bear. And so the point of going into solitude is to return to our community, to our church, to our our networks, to our friendships, to our neighborhoods with something to give to them from the fullness of what we have received rather than coming to others from a place of emptiness demanding that they fill up what is lacking. Starving sheep will eat each other. If you are starving... You will start eating each other. 
Imagine a church where 90% of the people spent regular time in the presence of their father, offering their, their concerns, their anxieties, their frustrations, their disappointments, looking forward to what God has called them, looking to him for their source of strength and power and guidance and wisdom. 90%. Then imagine they show up together and 10% haven't. Well, now you've got an abundance. You've got a fulfilled people who have been with God now pouring into the 10. Imagine if it's the other way around. Only 10% have spent time getting their identity from God. 90% show up looking to those 10 to give them what they were meant to get only from God. It will destroy the church. It would be a nightmare. So hear me. You need solitude in order to be in community. One more quote from Bonhoeffer. Each by itself, solitude and community, has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feeling. And one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. Brothers and sisters, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make time, commit today to make time for silence and solitude. Maybe pick one hour this week for a silent retreat. One hour in silence where you're intentionally connecting with God. Make time. Don't find time. Make time. Maybe take, some of you maybe need to take a half day. Take a half day, take a sandwich, take a water bottle, take a Bible, and go spend time with your Heavenly Father. Maybe some of you need to plan a weekend spiritual retreat. If you need places to go, if you're not sure where to go, or you're like, I want to do that, where, I'll, talk to me. I'll give you some places you can go. But, but make it, do not leave this morning without committing to making and practicing silence and solitude. Make time for solitude. Now, I recognize that as I am doing everything I can to encourage you to make time to be alone with God, that for some of you, that is difficult because you and God, you're just not on good terms. Some of you are like, I don't want to spend time with God. I've got, you know, there's a whole host of reasons. And I want you to understand that, that for you, if you are struggling to spend time with God because you've, got, you've been running from God, or maybe you sense that God is angry at you and you don't want the discipline he's going to give you when you come together with him, I want to remind you, or maybe for the first time share with you, that the character and nature of God is revealed at the cross. I already said your biggest problem is disconnection with your father. God loves you so much that he made a way for you to be reconnected to your heavenly father. If you think that your sin can separate you from God, you do not know the love of God displayed in Jesus. He made a way where there was no way. By faith 
in Christ alone, you are not merely a creation of God. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you are his child. Child of a king. And everything he has is yours. And he will not abandon you. He will not forsake you. He will not leave you. Your father loves you and misses you. Bring to him your sins, your frustrations, your struggles, your anger, your pain, your depression. Bring it to him and hear his love for you as he meets with you in solitude. Your Lord, your King, and your God longs to spend time with you. And if you do not know him, if you do not know the good news, if you do not understand the beauty of what God has done, let me tell you right now, if you are not a Christian, if you're looking for rest anywhere else, you will not find it. You were made to find it in God. And the way to find it in God is by trusting Jesus for what he has done to connect you back to your heavenly father. This morning you can receive God You can be saved by God. You can be reconciled by God. But that means you declaring, God, I have looked for rest in all sorts of places that have have not satisfied me. And Lord, I'm desperate. I'm desperate for you and more of you. I believe that Jesus is the way. He died on the cross for my sins, rose again on the third day. Lord, I trust and believe in him as my Lord and as my Savior. And God says that when we do that, we put our faith and trust in Jesus, repenting of our sins, confessing and turning to him, that we will be saved. And we all of a sudden become brand new people. We become children of a king. So this morning, out of gratitude for what God has done for us, let's wake up to the reality that we need more time with him, more than we need anything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you made us for yourself. And Lord, we confess to you that many of us, we have not made you the priority in our lives. And we are empty. We are tired. We are unenergized. We have have looked, many of us, for our brothers and sisters in the church to give us what we were made to only get from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us by your spirit the discipline and the wisdom to be alone with you and to make that a habit of grace so that we might be filled so that we might find rest so that we might be energized for all the things you've called us to do so that we might be a blessing to the church and to the city lord we cannot do it apart from you help us to abide in jesus by practicing solitude regular abstention from people to connect with you for growth. Give us the ability, Father, to be little Christs, to be disciples of yours who do what you call us to do. Not just hearers of the word, but doers of it as well. It's in your name we pray. Amen.